0: Welcome to the fourth Petronerds podcast. My name is Tricia Curtis, and I will be your host for this podcast and many others to follow. Today, we're going to be talking about the acquisition frenzy that's taken place in the Permian Basin. We'll discuss some of the activity levels, uh, but we're going to focus in today on the Bass purchase by ExxonMobil and the Clayton Williams purchase by Noble Energy and those big... uh, those big purchases that, that gave these companies both sizable footholds, extended their sizable footholds in the Permian Basin. I also want to thank my listeners uh, for listening. and I encourage you to share this podcast um, and check out our, our slides. Uh, again, we have slides that we post for free that go with each podcast. Our podcasts are completely free. And the uh, full slide deck um, with all the dense, nerdy info is available for purchase each month. And lastly, I just want to uh, tell our listeners that my colleague Ben Montalbano and myself will be traveling to Saudi Arabia next week. I'll be giving a presentation at CAPSARC. Um, it's the King Abdullah's uh, Petroleum Studies and Research Center, along with the International Energy Forum, the IEF, are hosting a Thought Leaders round Roundtable, and I'll be giving a presentation there. So with that, um, I will jump into the podcast. Okay, so today we're talking about the Permian Basin, and we're going to talk about all the sort of uh, a little bit about the, the recent flurry of acquisitions that have taken place and all this hype and excitement that Wall Street is giving the Permian Basin. And it seems like if you're not in the Permian Basin or you haven't recently purchased an asset um, that you're falling out of favor with everyone and people are starting to question what you're doing. Now, I want folks to be careful about this because I think that um, the way you look at this has to be um, intelligent. And I think that the Permian Basin is a, is a wonderful basin. It's a great asset. Um, it, you know, overall, it's, it, it's going to have a lot of long-term production running room. Um, it's it's going to be a basin that's going to be producing for, for decades and decades in the U.S. and it's going to be a, a significant portion of U.S. production growth. However, a lot of this frenzy and excitement does look similar uh, to when companies that were in the Williston Basin and the Bakken were being pushed to have other assets outside of the Williston Basin. And some of these companies, including you know Whiting and Continental, went into Whiting was in the DJ and, and Continental Resources went into the Anadarko Basin. Now I, the Permian Basin, I, I don't believe, is like the Anadarko Basin. Obviously, it's a it's a <clears throat> significantly oil rich. Um, Basin that's very prolific and and it has um, multiple stacked pay zones and um, is seeing incredible well productivity gains as, as we've illustrated in a lot of our work prior. However, the frenzy of purchases that have been taking place in a sub-$60 oil environment and really a sub-$55 oil environment um, could constitute some concerns for smaller oil companies that don't necessarily have strong cash flows um, and balance sheets that could support this should oil prices go down further or um, should they realize that they have um, higher capital expenses. And one of the things I want to point out here is that there's been a lot of acquisitions. So uh, Parsley Energy, um, which if you look at their well productivity, um, if you look at their wells and their productivity gains, they're they're absolutely right in line with EOGs almost. Um, their wells are excellent to their standout um, company in terms of well performance in in the Permian. They've had sort of a buying bin since late 2014. Uh, they purchased... Uh, since since the downturn, they spent $400 million on on 11,700 acres in the Midland portion of the Permian Basin. This purchase itself was about 34000 an acre, and they've had several other purchases that went with this. Concho purchased um, 40,000 acres from Reliance Energy. They paid about 40,000 an acre for this as well. SM Energy, um, same uh, roughly the same price, about $40,000 an acre. Uh, they purchased... Um, 36,000 roughly 36,000 acres. I I think you recall uh, it was 1.6 billion. They sold off their Wilson Basin assets to Oasis Petroleum and they used part of they used those funds to fund part of this purchase because they wanted a foothold in the Permian Basin. Now, QEP Resources is probably the biggest standout and in June of last year, they actually paid a little over on, on if you just do basic math, a little over $60,000 an acre, about 64,000 an acre. It was a pretty small um, purchase. It was 9,400 net acres, and it was in the Midland portion of the Permian Basin. So it was a, and not that much production. And that's that's the other thing. It was over 1,000 barrels a day of of um, liquids or barrel boil equivalent production. The point I'm trying to make about some of these purchases is that they don't come with a lot of production with them. So it's a lot of speculation on these assets. And I do think these assets are gonna prove great over the long term. I think they're gonna be decent assets because I uh, I really have confidence in the Permian Basin. However, I think that some of these companies are paying extremely high prices for acreage positions without production that comes with it um, and at a $52 oil price environment. Um, As well as the Permian Basin dictates many places in the Permian Basin. It isn't like the Wilson Basin or the Eagle Ford where you have a flexibility on, on drilling and holding your acreage where you drill a few wells and you hold your acreage by production. You have to put up more capital upfront to drill and complete more wells in order to hold your acreage by production. And this means that you have more stringent leasing requirements essentially in the Permian, in many parts of the Permian Basin. And it could catch some of these smaller companies um, in a bit of a pickle if they uh, have to lay out more capital and, and prices, you know, correct and, and they aren't hedged properly. Another thing to note is that we've had several Denver-based companies, and again, PetroNerds is based in Denver, and we've had a lot of Denver-based companies actually recently purchase assets in the Permian Basin. And I've noted these. Uh, Lilis Energy was one that purchased assets. PDC just had a purchase of uh, – they purchased 57,000 acres uh, for about $1.5 or, or about 21000 um an acre um, in the Permian Basin. Resolute Energy also purchased uh, – about 3,300 acres um, in Reeves County for $135 million. Um, and sometimes you, you come across uh, names like NCAP Investments. I think a lot of, a lot of these purchases have been from uh, private equity groups who have amassed some acreage, and then they've they've recently sold it off. And I've seen NCAP's name at least a few times in looking at some of these purchases. But I also think it's interesting. I joined a group in Denver um, that has a... a, a educational program once a month and there was a happy hour last month and i attended it and it was all these these folks that are are working and being employed by mostly denver-based oil and gas companies and i was expecting to talk about the dj basin the denver julesburg basin where most of them uh do their business and work in contrary to to my thoughts of of discussing the DJ Basin, most of the conversations actually focused on the Permian Basin and all the hype around it. And a lot of these companies had recently purchased assets in the Permian Basin. So I found this very interesting. I think it's, um, again, I have a lot of optimism on this basin, but I want to put a little note of caution. I think that there's a lot of smaller companies entering this that, one, haven't been in the Permian Basin before. Um, They're new to it. and, And, two, are paying relatively high prices. In a, in a pretty low oil price environment. Okay, so all that being said, uh, the two most important, or the two, I'm sorry, the two biggest um, acquisitions that have taken place and were close together and why we're having this pod were discussing on this podcast today are the Exxon Purchase, ExxonMobil Purchase of Bass and the Noble Energy Purchase of Clayton Williams. Uh, but before we get into that, let's just look at the Permian Basin um, activity and, and what's taken place in terms of the rig count and production right now so we can put this in context. The U.S. rig count has risen significantly since it bottomed, um, and particularly the U.S. oil rig count bottomed at 316 rigs in May of 20, May 27 2016 um, the current rig count as of last Friday February 3rd there were 583 oil rigs um, so that's a, a massive increase um, and is certainly going to contribute to production gains um, going forward or production growth going forward now m- the majority of those rigs or a large chunk of them at least have been uh, from the Permian basin those rig additions so in April uh 29 2016 the Permian basin rig count bottomed at 100 32 rigs. That is, and um, that is Permian Basin oil rigs o- only. And uh, the most recent figure, uh, February Friday, February 3rd of 2017, there were 295 rigs running in the Permian Basin. So again, a significant ramp um, in that rig count. And we've also seen it. You know, this corresponds obviously with a sort of a, a you know jagged movement in in crude oil prices. Crude oil prices bottomed at at $28 a barrel on February 12, 2016. And from, you know, since then we've seen, uh, if you compare this with the rig ramp, you've seen a a nice upward trajectory in the rig count. We've also seen, um, uh, in the last several weeks, we've seen an increase in the gas rig count as well. In terms of production in the Permian Basin, production is still just over 2 million barrels per day. It's still edging higher. Uh, and this, these are the latest production figures. Horizontal production is about 1.3 million barrels per day, and that's continuing uh, continued to increase. We haven't seen that really um, come off at all. And a vertical production has continued, um, continued to drop, not nearly as aggressively as it, as it was in the, the past several months, but it's about 740,000 barrels per day right now. Uh, that's from a high of a million barrels per day in 2014. And we could see that flatten out a little bit. We do still have some some vertical activity taking place. Now, if we look at um, – we're just going to put this into perspective a little bit because we're going to be talking about these acquisitions. And as I mentioned before, a lot of these companies are not purchasing a whole lot of production. Rather, they're purchasing a lot of acreage that's going to have potential production. But I think it's really important that we look at the existing production and and what these companies have done with those assets because – Prior to this this frenzy in the Permian, we did, um, you know, purchasing a- acreage and production was really important to understand what the wells look like and and what they could perform at. So if we look at the New Mexico, uh, the horizontal decline curve, so what the IP is and sort of the well performance looks like. You know, the IP is up to seven hundred barrels per day in, in on average in twenty sixteen, and it still most of the months through through nine months in was the month of production was higher than twenty fifteen. If we look at uh, the Texas horizontal decline curve on the Texas side, that number is about 550 barrels per day on average for for the IPs, the initial production rate in 2016. So on average, all the wells um, brought online, horizontal wells brought online, just in Texas, were averaging 550 barrel per day um, initial production rates. And actually, that decline curve, when you look at it on the on the chart that I, that I have in the presentation, um, has some very impressive um, year over year growth, and and it it. We're still seeing well productivity improvements in month-over-month month and year-over-year year productivity gains, especially on the Texas side. Now just as a, as a note to remember that New Mexico, the reservoirs were, were predominantly in New Mexico that they're targeting horizontally are the Bone Springs, the Delaware, and some Wolf Camp reservoirs. Whereas on the Texas side, um, it's, it's predominantly the trend area and the Wolf Camp reservoirs and some Bone Springs reservoirs that are being targeted. So on January 17th, ExxonMobil came out and said that they were acquiring companies um, to more than double their, their Permian Basin resource position to 6 billion barrels. This is according to their, their news releases. This was on, on January 17th at 9 a.m. they released this. and. This really uh, sent the market and got a a lot of folks excited about the Permian Basin uh, and a lot about Exxon's purchase. Now, they say that the company's assets include uh, 250,000 acres in the highly prolific Permian Basin. They say they are adding more than 3.4 billion barrels of oil equivalent, um, of which 75% is liquids. Uh, and the upfront acquisition cost is 5.6 billion to be paid um, in ExxonMobil shares, along with some other um, parts of that. Now, if we just wanna take a step back for a second, um, and look at the Exxon Mobil XTO, unconventional portfolio, um, what they have right now, most of their assets and acreage um, and production are in, are in the Permian Basin currently and in the Bakken. Um, and they, they do look a little bit different than other companies in many ways. So when, if you're trying to see, you know, are there wells right next to each other that they drilled in the past two years in the Bakken? No, not necessarily. They're a bit um, scattered across the Wilson Basin, um, that's probably because they're trying to hold their acreage by production. Um, they also have a little more capital flexibility than most companies. Um, and they're really looking at this as, as a long-term investment. And I do think this is a really important acquisition for the um, oil market because it shows that that ExxonMobil is very serious about US unconventionals more more so than they even were. Um, and the doubling down on the Permian Basin. And I I think this bodes uh, very well for for U.S. um, long-term production growth and and particularly bodes well for the Permian Basin. And you'll see that evident in in when we can actually look at some of the wells that they purchased, these Bass family assets. Uh, But if we look real quickly, the Permian Basin, they have uh, ExxonMobil and and XTO Energy have um, about 4,500 active wells in the Permian Basin. 457 of those are horizontal. 116 of those are directional and they have a whopping um, nearly 4,000 vertical wells, um, which is a lot. So they only have um, less than 500 uh, horizontal wells. And that's important to point out that even companies like Exxon, and we'll talk about it shortly about Noble as well, only have a handful of of sort of horizontal wells to date. Uh, So when we look at these acquisitions, there's not a whole lot to go off of in terms of what the horizontal activity, but we do have some. Uh, In October 20, as of October, Exxon's uh, production in the Permian Basin was about 81,000 barrels a day of liquids. 242,000 MCF a day of gas. And I think it's important to point out uh, about 950,000 barrels a day of water production. That's roughly a million barrels a day of water production for just 81,000 barrels a day of of liquids production, which is um, mostly oil. That's a lot of water production. Um, That's important to point out because that's a cost that companies have to deal with, that they have to um, to, uh, transport this water, they have to... um, Put it either uh, recycle it or put it um, in, down to a disposal well, et cetera. Uh, in the Wilson Basin, ExxonMobil XTO is um, has a little over 1,000 active wells and roughly the same amount of production as the Permian. Those, the production's been steady, about 82,000 barrels a day of liquids production. Obviously, um, that's oil. 164,000 um, MCF a day of gas they're producing in the Wilson Basin, and just 57,000 barrels a day of water. So a lot of folks talk about the water cut in um, and the water disposal and hauling costs in um, in North Dakota. That's why I think it's important to, to put in perspective of how much water is being produced in the in the Permian Basin and what the the hauling and disposal costs at least are something to think about. Now XM Mobile talks about they they put a couple slides on what their um, you know what their unconventional profiles look like if you dig deep into some of their presentations but you really have to um, pull out their production on um, through other means that um, to actually see what their production profiles look like, so I have a chart here um, that I'm looking at that shows you, you know, Wilson Basin and Permian Basin production have really been sort of in line. We haven't seen a huge ramp up, um, and they haven't they haven't declined markedly or anything since the the downturn. The Wilson Basin's come off a little bit, um, and the production's sort of been r- relatively flat. Now, the asset overview, I think it's um, important it's to say, okay, so what does ExxonMobil have in the Permian Basin right now? What is ExxonMobil and XCO? Um, what is their Permian Basin asset position? So right now, they have 17,000 wells. So if you, if you pull a map of all their wells, they show like 17,000 wells. Again, only um, just under 4,500 of those are, are active and if we look at the breakdown um again about less just under four thousand are vertical wells 457 are horizontal and um over 100 are directional and in terms of the reservoirs for the horizontal wells the primary reservoirs are the trend area um the devonian and the bone springs um and it's it's not as many bone springs as you think it's 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 20 to 30 the, there might be some more and they have a handful of of wells also um Looking at this trend area in Devonian, they have a, um, a well over 100 wells in the trend area. Um, nearly 200, and about o- over 100 wells in the Devonian. And if we look at their the Exxon um, Permian Basin, their decline curve, so for their horizontal wells, of what their decline curve looks like, it is a little erratic. So it doesn't look quite as clean as many other wells. And that could be for a number of reasons of, of what they're doing with them. But in 2016, their IP was just over, on average, um, 400 barrels per day. Um, they, they did do a lot of wells. So there's a lot of wells to go with that number. So about 103 wells, um, support that on average that 400 barrel a day IP, which is pretty decent, and then you see some some jaggedness um, in that decline curve, but they do seem to have some relative productivity and and production growth year over year. Okay, so now getting to the meat of the question, we know what they have in the Permian Basin. So what did they purchase? Now they purchased the a family of companies from Bass Enterprises. Um, this is and and BOPCO. So. If you're looking for Bass Enterprises, you're going to find, um, you know, a little over 600, almost 700 wells. But none of those, uh, none of those companies, the Bass Enterprise companies, have uh, producing assets. So Bobco is the company that, if you look at um, and look at their property count and their wells, those are the ones that have have producing assets. And actually, if you look at Bass Enterprises, they have wells scattered that are not active, but scattered all across um, the U.S. Really, if you if you know geology in the the western an interior seaway that the map fits sort of perfectly with that. So Exxon hasn't really disclosed if, if they're getting all that, if they're just getting this production, but they, they could have a lot of this, um, you know, extensive assets across U.S. In terms of the active wells that they've purchased that we know of, of what they're getting and what my, my focus on this podcast is to analyze is Bobco has over 2,000 total wells. Um, 842 of those are active, um, and they have 89 injection wells, and they have 13 in the Arkla Basin, uh, 72 in the Piont Basin. That's the sort of the gas portion, um, just um, south of, of where I'm from, Northwest Colorado. It's sort of uh, it's it, it's a bit south of that. It's primarily gas. They have um, 72. 72 wells there. And actually, Exxon does have some existing assets in the Peon, So that's a that could be a nice tag on. Yeah, again, it's mainly gas. Uh, they have 74 wells in the Texas and Louisiana Gulf Coast Basin, uh, which is part of the Eagle, Eagle is in there. And in the Permian Basin, Bobco has 683 wells. So in terms of production, uh, they have 13,400 barrels a day, about about 3,500 barrels a day of Permian Basin production that Bobco has, the Exxon purchase. So that's actually more production than um, many of these companies I mentioned before. Mentioned before when they purchased these assets, um, you know, Exxon actually did purchase some production that came with with those that price tag. And I believe they paid roughly, I think the numbers are roughly twenty-five thousand an acre, I think, for these assets. So Permian Basin production, about six hundred fifty wells um, and. Thir- 13,500 barrels a day production, versus the total production of Bobco, almost all of that's in the Permian Basin, just over 14,000 barrels a day, um, and just under 800 wells for total production. Okay, now if we look at Permian Basin active wells for Bobco, we see that uh we can see that the where the vertical wells are where the horizontal wells are and directional etc and most of these wells are primarily in Eddy county um and they also have some in winkler county in in texas just on the border but these are these are sort of a much more of a similar purchase to the yates acquisition uh by eog uh, when they purchased the the new mexico side of this so they have a good portion 200, uh, over 200 horizontal wells. Most of those are in Eddy County, but they also have uh, a good chunk over 400 um, vertical wells, and those are, are both in Eddy County and in, in Winkler County in Texas. And if we look at the um, where, what those wells are in terms of reservoir, we have a mix of where a lot of those horizontal wells are basically a mix between uh, the Delaware and Bone Spring Reservoirs. Um, and in, the, uh, in Winkler County, we have, uh, those are, under the name Consolidated, as well as the Colby Reservoirs, um, and a lot of those are vertical. Now, in terms of BOPCO Permian Basin, active, the active uh, horizontal wells, the decline curve, in 2016, it's a pretty decent curve. It's um, over 500 barrels a day IP with a really nice performance um, year over year. If you look at the the year over year performance uh, for 2015, uh, 2014, 2013, 2015 was really off, their IPs were low, there could be something going on there. But the other years, 2012, 2013, um, etc., cetera, and 2014, all sort of fall in line right next to each other. So there wasn't a whole lot of um, productivity gains or productivity growth there. Now. On, in terms of what the, that production looked like, the Permian Basin horizontal production, there's about 200 wells. So what we're looking at in that curve um, is about 200 wells. And obviously um, a lot less wells were done. Uh, you know We have a handful of wells in 2016, but those numbers did look pretty decent regardless. So 200 wells, um, 11,000 barrels a day of liquids production. This is again, Bobco Permian Basin horizontal production, 11,000 barrels a day of liquids, 48,000 uh, MCF a day of gas and about 70,000 barrels a day of water. Now, if we uh, look individually and we want to look at the the breakout of horizontal production for Bobco and uh, you know and individual reservoirs, again, we're looking at just horizontal wells. We're primarily we're in Eddy County um, only, and the, there's a split between Bone Springs and Delaware um, reservoirs, so they're pretty evenly. So, in terms of Delaware horizontal production, it's about 97 wells, 6,000 barrels a day of liquids production, 25,000 MCF a day of gas, and 57,000 barrels a day of water production. That IP is um and their well performance and initial production rate is, you know, in twenty sixteen there were only three wells that were done, so it's a, a really small number, and the IP is is about four hundred and fifty barrels per day, and there's not much of a curve to even show there. Um there's nothing for twenty fifteen. In twenty fourteen there was fourteen wells done, um, and the twenty fourteen curve is a little over four hundred barrel a day IP and you know, a typical decline curve. Not a whole lot of uh what you would say you know, overall productivity growth that you would see year over year in in some of these wells, but they're not bad either, and they have decent IPs and decent curves. Now, if we switch over and look at the bone springs, there's about 94 94 wells included, uh, horizontal active wells, that's 5,000 barrels a day. They're producing 5,000 barrels a day of liquids, 22,000 MCF a day of gas, and 14,000 barrels a day of water. Now, I found that note impressive on the water because um, if if you compare that to roughly the same amount of wells um, in the Delaware side, that's uh, a significantly less water. We're talking fifty seven thousand barrels a day on the Del in the Delaware formation for six thousand barrels a day of liquids versus fourteen thousand barrels a day of water to five thousand barrels a day of liquids in the bone spring. So a much less Um, significant water cut in the Bone Springs. And the well performance there, in 2016, there was two wells done in the Bone Springs uh, that had an IP over 500 barrels a day, and it's a little jagged and kinda messy, this curve is, but it does show um, month-over-month, year-over-year gains in, in productivity gains there. Okay, so to wrap up here, I'm going to do something pretty nerdy and we're going to look at the reservoir performance on, on the New Mexico side only because this is primarily where Exxon Exxon and Exxon purchased assets. Um, is Bopco's assets were in uh, the New Mexico portion of the Permian Basin. So we're going to look at the well performance on average of New Mexico horizontal Delaware wells. So if we look at those and we're going to compare those then to, to what Bobco has. So if we look at the Delaware um, Reservoir as, as we were noticing before in all of New Mexico the horizontal curve there's eight wells um, drilled and completed in 2016 there are part of this average and IP is roughly 600 barrels per day it is a relatively jagged um, curve but it it does have productivity gains although erratic um, well over that of, of 2015 in 2015 it was uh, there were 40 wells done that was just over 400 barrel a day IP um, and and a bit of productivity gains, but they sort of come in line with the rest of the years, um, when we get into the the later months of about a year old. Now, if we compare that to Bobco's Delaware um, horizontal decline curve, um, it stacks up well. So if we look at uh, where Bobco is, is, is their 2016 number, again, there's not much there, but if we look at some of their older wells, as in uh, what they were doing in 2013 and 2014, they were actually well outperforming the New Mexico average. So on average, like I said, in 2015, the, these New Mexico um, horizontal Delaware wells were iping just over 400,000 barrels a day with a with a decent decline, you know, not a, a crazy decline curve. And if we look at Bobco's wells, um, and in 2014 they did 14 um, Delaware reservoir wells, those were IPing at well over 400 barrels per day, so that's a bit higher. Um, we can see that with 2013, there those wells, they had 17 wells and those were IPing at, at 600 barrels per day um, with with roughly the same decline curve. So I would say overall those those stack up pretty nicely even though there's not a whole lot of wells to go by. On um, For the bone springs formation. I, If we look at the New Mexico horizontal bone spring decline curve, all the wells, in 2016, obviously, there's been a lot more activity in the bone springs on the the New Mexico portion of the Permian Basin. There was 167 wells included in this. So in 2016, for these 176 wells, the average IP is is, is nearly 700 barrels per day. Um, It's very high. And at 692 barrels per day, um, and through this a six-month period, it does have very nice well performance gains year over year. Um, As you get into sort of that nine-month period, they come down, but you also have less wells in that calculation. So. Um, very decent productivity growth um, in 2016, and at 2015, there was uh, 436 wells included in this decline curve, and that IP was um, just over about, that was 500 barrels per day IP with um, very significant well performance and productivity growth if you look at this decline curve on a, on a year-over-year basis. So those stack up um, int- in terms of the new mexico portion that's that's a high number to beat now if we look at bobco's bone spring um horizontal wells how they compare in 2016 they were iping over 500 barrels per day so they're not you know as close to that 700 barrel a day mark but the actual the curve is is relatively in line and if we look at their they're 2015 um, and 2014 wells again they're a little erratic but they're not they're not horribly often at least there are some wells to compare from so that's roughly what the you know the the bobco um, performance looks like in, in new mexico and I think it's important to, to look at these wells. I mean, they're not, these are not bad wells. They're not a whole lot of activity, again, that we can see in the past couple of years. But they did show that the wells that they had done in the past uh, did have decent performance. And uh, that's important to look at in these assets. Uh, that concludes this Exxon Bass, ExxonMobil Bass portion. And now we'll move on to Noble Energy's purchase of Clayton Williams. Noble Energy announced that they were acquiring Clayton Williams Energy on January 16th of 2017. Uh, and this was mainly, uh, they were discussing in, in their in their press release that this increases, quote, increases core Delaware Basin position to nearly 120,000 net acres, materially enhances oil growth outlook, Add substantial midstream upside. Noble Energy also updates for blah blah. They have this big uh, updating the four-year plan now. Prior to this, they had also announced, um, you know, in, in weeks prior, other asset purchases that they had done in the Permian Basin. So, Noble, um, most many folks know Noble Energy as a as a DJ a Denver-Julesburg Basin um, company that has one of the top production positions along with Anadarko in the basin. Um, however, Noble also has a lot of other assets so they are a a global um company so they have assets in and production in in israel and cyprus um in equatorial guinea um, and Cameroon and they have other assets they have assets in the in the deep water Gulf of Mexico in the Marcellus shale and they also have assets um, that I don't think a lot of folks probably knew or paid attention to but the in the Eagle Ford shale um, and they have some obviously they had a little bit in the Permian Basin but not a whole lot so this is a this gives them a, a obviously a much bigger position in the Permian Basin and that's what they wanted um, and some could argue and I, I've seen analysts note that you know they weren't getting a whole lot of attention, and this was something that would would get it for them. But they, they did want a bigger foothold, it seems like, in the U.S., and a more premier position than the DJ, because they just don't have a whole whole lot of growth you're seeing out of the DJ Basin. So if we're looking at their the Noble Energy U.S. unconventional position, uh, similar as we looked at the Exxon position, um, if we look at... the active wells and map them. Obviously, primarily, again, most of their wells, their active wells are in the DJ Basin in Colorado, but they have set over 7,200 active wells. Um, 6,500 of those, over 6,500 of those are in the DJ Basin. Um, most of those are horizontal. There's uh, just under 500 are vertical. Production in the DJ Basin um, as of October was uh, 71,000 barrels a day of liquids, just under 400,000 MCF a day of gas. Um, and obviously the water cuts are much smaller here than the Permian, but at 30,000 barrels a day of water, Now in the Permian Basin, they have, um, what you have to look at to see in the Permian Basin and um, in Eagle Ford is that Noble Energy purchased Rosetta, um, and they did so Rosetta Resources last year, and they still operate under Rosetta. So if you are are looking at these assets and you're sort of missing Permian Basin um, active wells for, for Noble, it's because it's still under Rosetta Resources. So in the Permian Basin, they have 146 active wells, 43 of those are horizontal, 103 of those are vertical. So again, not a whole lot of horizontal um, wells to date. Um, as of November 2016, that, they had 8,000 barrels a day of liquids production, 21,000 MCF a day of gas, uh, and roughly 14,000 barrels a day of water production. In the Eagle Ford Reservoir, which is in the in the Texas and Louisiana Gulf Coast Basin, they have 290 active wells. Um, as of November, they had 12,000 barrels a day of liquids production. Um, they're they're uh, assets are in the, in the southernmost portion, I and mean, this, this will include, obviously, um, NGLs and condensate as well, but that, or that 12,000 barrels a day of liquids likely includes a significant amount of condensate, but it is liquids. Uh, 217,000 mcf a day of gas and 12,000 barrels a day of water production. So as we note there, um, the Permian Basin production is relatively new because they purchased, they've been purchasing those assets uh, through Rosetta. And if we look at that production, it's been it's been a little erratic between twenty thirteen and uh, to date. Um, but it's uh, and and might the numbers a little funny it's come off. So we haven't seen massive. Uh, production gains in the last few years um, in terms of the Permian Basin in terms of growth. And in the DJ Basin, which is their, their prior horse asset for in terms of existing production, um, production has been relatively flat the last couple of years. Okay, so in terms of Noble Energy's Permian Basin uh, assets and existing production, their wells are primarily in Reeves County. So if we're looking at in the sort of the northern portion of, of Reeves County, and um, they have forty-three horizontal wells and one hundred and three vertical wells. Most of the they have, most of these are in the Trend Area um, reservoir. So thirty-five Trend Area horizontal active wells, and they have eight uh, active Wolfcamp wells. Uh, the Trend Area, if you if just to give you a brief idea of the decline curve, in in 2016, um, the decline curve looks a little odd um, and sort of falls uh, underneath 2015 a little bit. But the IP is about 600 barrels per day, Um, And if we look at 2015, the IP is about 550 barrels per day or a little over that, but it has a significant month-over-month and year-over-year bump from 2014. Um, So you can see the the productivity gains and growth um, for the trend area were very significant between 2014 and 2015, and there was even some growth between uh, 2013 and 2014. And in 2016, again, the, the curve looks a little funny, but there was only four wells um, that were included in that. In 2015, there was um, eight wells included in that number. In 2014, uh, tw- 36 wells. So not a whole lot of wells to go by, but but of the figures, um, especially in, in 2015, those eight wells look very solid. In terms of the Wolf Camp horizontal decline curve, uh, there were no wells done in the Wolf Camp, um, um, under Noble Energy in 2016, in 2015 and 2014, those um, those wells are roughly in line. Again, there's only eight total Wolfcamp wells we're looking at. Uh, the average uh, IPs are over 600 barrels per day, um, edging towards sort of 650, and uh, and coming they sort of come down sharply. There's not a whole lot of data to go off here to say our, whether or not these wells are improving um, significantly in in terms of productivity gains and growth. Okay, so moving on to, to the per- actual purchase of Clayton Williams. What this purchase was was a move for Noble Energy to have uh, be a premier and significant player. They, they call it premier player in the southern Delaware Basin, so basically south of what um, Exxon, Mobile, and... Um, eog have done where they're in the northern portion of the delaware i think i've mentioned on the podcast before i called the the left foot um in the in the Permian basin this would be the bottom portion the heel of the left foot that they've sort of purchased um and that's uh if, if they have a really good slide deck that i encourage you to take a look at on their website where they go through this purchase on this asset. And so you can see where their, their positioning is, where their um, existing noble acreage is and sort of this northern portion of Reeves. And uh, they did purchase acreage that is just adjacent to it. They also include in that those Clayton Williams acreage positions, they also include um, other assets that are in Andrews County in Texas, um, in sort of the um, upper edge by, by New Mexico and also in, um, in Glasscock and Sterling, which is in more of the Midland portion of the Permian Basin. And actually, prior to this, um, this announcement of this purchase, they had purchased other acreage. So it was a they had a nice, clean bolt-on acreage position um, of seventy-two hundred net acres that they purchased prior to this, also in Reeves County, and um, about uh, twenty-four hundred barrels of oil equivalent a day that they said they they added. So it was a nice contigu- uh, contiguous acre- acreage position that they added. Now they in their slide deck, they talk about where this um, where these assets are, um, and they they show you the you know the stacked formations um, and how many wells they could potentially put in that., um, and they talk a lot about the wolf camp um, and also about the the bone springs and what the inventory levels could look like. I think on the geology side, I, I like the map that they show and provide, um, and they they show in terms of, um, oil production or percentage of oil and what the map looks like in the grading level. So um, they're putting it in the, the oiler portion, oilier p- portion um, and less in the, uh, in the gassy p- portion. And they say they are in the overpressured um, oil area, oil window in, the, in this portion. Um, but importantly, as I point out, it's not just about the acreage. Uh, you do have to have some wells to look at. And they, they do point this out in their slides of that they have existing wells to go off of, of vertical wells, um, and off of horizontal wells, so we should look at that. And if we look at the Clayton Williams asset overview, if you if you look at what they have, and it is tricky to pull up all these well these names because there's. Clayton W. Williams and Clayton Williams Jr. and Clayton Jr. Williams and there's lots of different names. So if you put all those together, um, and there's quite a few of them, and you look at all their wells, they have a handful of assets in Montana. They've got Permian Basin assets sort of stretched out everywhere. They have quite a bit of assets in the Eagle Ford, um, some and a lot in Louisiana, a few in the Anadarka Basin, etc. Now those assets in the Eagle Ford, um, if you if you know anything about uh, Wild Horse Resource Development, that company actually purchased Clayton Williams assets um, very recently and but they still show up as Clayton Williams. Um, and there is not there's no mention of the Eagle Ford assets being purchased um, any Eagle Ford assets being purchased in the noble position. So these are just something that are still you're still seeing in the numbers, but I believe those belong to to Wild Horse resource development and not um, now to global in that purchase. So when we're looking at that we'll be focusing on this present or on this in this podcast we'll be focusing on on the Permian assets. But if we look at their active wells, they have 762 active wells, and this does include the Eagle Ford stuff. Um, they have, uh, Perm- the reservoirs that these are primarily in are in the trend area, uh, 325, um, 220 wells in the Austin Chalk, again, and, and 45 wells in the Eagle Ford, 26 wells in the Wolf Camp. So um, there's a good chunk of what you see in their active wells that are being listed are in that Eagle Ford stuff that they don't have, but they d- almost everything else is in the Permian Basin. Now, if we're looking at their um, just Permian Basin, Clayton Williams energy, what their wells look like uh, and the, their property looks like. they have this they have a chunk of wells in Reeves County, and that is a mix between vertical and horizontal wells, um, but that is primarily where most of their horizontal wells are at. They have forty seven horizontal wells in there. And then if we stretched across a little bit in eddy and and Lee, um county in uh, counties in New Mexico, there's some uh, vertical wells there, and then we have all, all across sort of the um, in all across sort of the, the uh, Permian Basin. There's a there's pockets of other wells, and you can see that on the on the maps in these in these slides and, and present and the slide deck. In terms of reservoirs, the um, assets are mainly in the trend area formation, um, or trend area reservoir, and there's uh, over 300 wells um, that are in the trend area. Those are, again, are primarily in Reeves and Andrews counties where they have a, a big chunk and pockets of wells. Um, but there's a lot of wells in the in the Strawn formation as well, um, which is further to the, it's, it's um, further on the other side of the Midland Basin and they have a handful a couple Wolfcamp wells here and there and those are in um those are in in reeves county and permian basin production what they show for total production is um as of november it is seven 7400 barrels per day this is clayton williams uh permian basin production 7400 barrels per day if we look at the horizontal wells just the horizontal wells um and you look at a map you see that there's one well in glasgow county but Almost all of them are in, in Reeves there's one well in Ward. Um, and the wells that are in Reeves, these these horizontal wells are there's 26 Wolfcamp wells, 19 Trendaria wells, one Atoka and one Montoya well. Um, so we'll obviously be focusing on the wolf camp and trend area. And if we look at production from the Wolf camp, uh, it's if, if we look at the, the there's not a whole lot of wells so, in 2016, they did four wells in the Wolfcamp. 2015, six. So when we're looking at production and decline curve, keep that in mind. But in terms of production, there's about 4,000 barrels a day of liquids production, and about 8,000 barrels a day, or 8,000 mcf a day, excuse me, of gas production. Um, it shows that water production has declined a little bit, but it is is roughly 6,000 barrels a day um, of water production. Now that's for the Wolf that's wolf camp production. If we look at the actual Reservoir performance and we look at the decline curve um, the four wells in 2016 were iping well over 800 uh, barrels per day and um, Have sort of an odd a decline curve now This is nearly double what um, the IPs were um, for 2013, 2014, and 2015. So in 2013, there were five wells included in this average, 2014, 11, 2015, six. And if you look at those IPs and the decline curves that I'm looking at right now, they're sort of stacked on top of each other. So there is no major well productivity gains uh, to note here. Um, So this number with these four wells in 2016 does seem a little bit odd. Um, The IPs are really high um, and, and that's great. And it does show, you know, in the first four months, those wells perform well, but in about six months, the decline um those wells are right in line with the other ones so there could be some pumping up of those um you know opening up that choke to really get those numbers up um in terms of those those four walls camp wells as well that may not be the case but it kind of looks like it um because they don't uh, the production comes off really hard in the the sort of fifth and sixth months now if we look at the the horizontal trend area the trend area reservoir um that again has 19 wells uh, there's 17 wells in basically in total in these numbers uh producing about 655 barrels a day of liquid so not a whole lot of liquids production a little over a thousand mcf mcf a day of gas and a little over a thousand barrels a day of water in 2014 that's the last year that there were wells um done in the trend area or, or shown on this is, is there was only one well and that well IP would over 500 barrels per day um there was a bit per, of productivity gains over 2013 um but not a whole lot um in 2013 there were seven wells included the ip um is about 375 barrels per day and that did have a significant ip increase and in productivity gains month over month and year over year from 2012. um so not a whole lot uh, to go off there because there's not a whole lot of wells in the past couple of years um but that's But it is better than having nothing and it does show us what some of those wells can could look like in the future so to wrap this up we're going to do the same thing we did um with uh comparing the reservoir performance and if we compare this it does look a little different than what uh exxon had purchased with bobco the stuff that uh if we're looking at in terms of just the purchase in terms of just what they purchase in terms of production I think the bfka purchase looks a little better in my opinion um, however we'll look at these this reservoir performance comparison so we're looking at Texas only horizontals here this is Texas horizontal wolf camp the decline curve for the tech for Texas horizontal wolf camp wells versus um, what Clayton Williams Wolfcamp camp wells look like and so for in 2016 there were about 400 wells included in the decline curve the IP was over 500 barrels per day and it had a very nice increase um in production over 2015 um so it didn't fall in line at all there was a significant well productivity growth from 2015 to 2014 um or t- from 2015 to 2016 excuse me um and there was there were has been growth from you know from 2014 and 2015 but the the most significant growth has been from 2015 to 2016 if you can see this curve the month over month gains are very significant and have they haven't come and fallen in line um, with years prior so that's and that's 400 wells so uh very nice performance growth for the wolf wolf camp formation in texas clayton williams the, again we only have four wells to go off of and that ip is very significant it's nearly 900 barrel per day ip um and if we look at the force first four months of production, the production looks excellent for those four wells. However, it comes right down um, in basically the fifth month down to uh, basically 200 barrels a day of production. So that doesn't look too great. In terms of comparison, it's not stacking up the same um, and that that decline curve should really be flattening out and shouldn't be um, quite as low. But again, there's only four wells to go off of, so I wouldn't wouldn't be too concerned with that. On the horizontal, uh, on the The trend area reservoir side, in terms of what the horizontal wells look like in Texas, there were 800 um, wells included in the decline gear, basically, 800 wells completed and drilled and completed in 2016 that are included in this. And the IP was well over 600 barrels per day. Uh, There was um, significant, uh, you know, decent month over month and year over year productivity gains. Between uh twenty fifteen and twenty sixteen and there has been from basically every year when we look at the, the trendary formation from 2011 on up. Um, in the latter months, they've sort of fell in line a bit with 2015. Um, so they're not nearly as quite as robust as as the Wolfcamp formation, um, but there's still productivity gains, and there are a lot more wells uh, to be included in this. On the Clayton Williams side, again, we only have one well in the trend area to compare to this. So, um, but the IP is and and the curve is actually relatively in line. And again, that that last well was in 2014. So we don't know what it would look at if they had if they had applied uh, newer techniques. Uh, let's say to what the 2016 wells are are being completed with uh compared to 2014. so in 2014 again the ip was just over 500 barrels per day and and the decline curve in line uh so the trend area formation stacks up pretty well and with that i i want to conclude uh this section for the the noble energy clayton williams uh acquisition that concludes today's podcast. I want to thank you all for listening and I welcome uh, I welcome chatting with you on the, the following podcasts to come. I want to remind our listeners that uh, Petronerds is a boutique research consultancy and advising service located in Denver, Colorado. And if you are interested in, in getting company analysis or dives on individual companies, basins, or assets, or putting uh, U.S. production to a global context, please uh, email us or give us a call. I also want to uh, let listeners know that they can purchase this full slide deck um, online, the cost is $99 or a year subscription for, for every month's podcast. That's that's 12 uh, dense slide decks is for $999. But if you want to purchase just a single uh, podcast slide deck, that's $99. There are free slides that go along with each podcast, um, and those are available free to the public, as well as the, the podcast is entirely free. But if you would like this dense slide deck, and there are, there are roughly 26 uh, slides that go with this podcast, uh, please log on to the website at petrunners.com and check it out or give us a ring or, or pop us an email. We'll be happy to, to work with you. Thank you again.